church in Jamaica, Queens is called New Hope, and I've been there, and I was on a roll, and I was talking about God's got big plans, and I was in front of everybody, God's got big plans for you, No Hope Church, and everybody was like, like, like that's about right, preacher. <laughs> At least nobody amen, you know. So I've been there, we've all been there. So excited to be back with you, and uh, I felt uh, such a, a part of that family, and uh, uh, again, want to thank the Lechies, the whole City on a Hill crew, and uh, uh, it's just exciting to be a part. Thanks to uh, Mr. Ms. Candace for introducing me to the Lechies years ago. I was thinking about that, being the, the connecting point there, and uh, yeah, and uh, so I really do, I'm, I'm so grateful to be part of your family. I did uh, several years ago, uh, we have sort of a, a, a younger church, several years ago I did um, many, many weddings, lots of weddings. In one year, I did six weddings, complete with the whole premarital counseling and, and all that stuff. And so last year, I found myself doing lots of baby dedications, and uh, <laughs> funny how that works. And with all these babies that are born, even with the birth of my own son, Carson, who many of you got to see yesterday, uh, turned one, and when these babies are born, I think we're all the same. I, 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 we think of the hopes and dreams of that baby. You know, I think about that particular kid, what kind of life's he going to have? What kind of world's he going to grow up in? Oh, well, what is she going to become? What is, what, will one day she have children of her own? Will one day he have children? And will I be a grandparent? Already you start thinking of that. But I don't think about the hopes and fears of an entire nation on that kid. That never crosses my mind. When I looked at my little son born there, I, I don't immediately think, oh, this polarizing figure will be the cause of fall and rise of many who see him. People are like, uh, which one's yours? I'm like, can't you see the halo of goodness? You know, it's not, I don't think like that. You know what I mean? Uh, but imagine a baby born and uh, uh, there in that baby scene, just imagine that whole scene with mother there holding the child and knowing that that child is going to be polarizing, that there's not one person who's going to meet him who's going to say, yeah, I'm just sort of neutral about this person. You know, that I, yeah, I, I don't really have strong feelings one way or another, but knowing that each person who meets that baby, each person that that baby connects with, is going to be immediate, visceral reaction. And I'm talking about Tim Tebow. You know, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Way before Tebow, right? I want to focus in on that manger scene. I want to think about that for a second. The one Tebow worships, right? I want to think about that little baby. Think about what was said about him. We're going to be in John chapter 10. It's sort of a, a follow-up to last week's message. And uh, if I can be just a, uh, a little uh, self I hope it's not self-indulgent. I hope it's for a good reason. But I would ask you to maybe catch up with last week's message if you weren't here. If you were here, you got it. Well, uh, uh, you know, this epic truth that the, the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to check that out. This is really wrapped up, part and parcel with that. John chapter 10. And I want to do something a little curious. I want to start at the end of the sermon. I want to start with where we're going to end up in verse 31 and go back there. And, and I'm trying to make all these points at once. <clears throat> in, in the end of John chapter, toward the end of John 10, verse 31, here we see... Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. Now, here's the point I'm making. How in the world do we get from Jesus meek and mild, Jesus friend of sinners? I mean, how do we get from 
you know, round yon virgin, mother and child, sleeping in heavenly peace. How do we get this Jesus who grows up and tells people to love each other? He heals the sick. He takes broken hearts. He binds them up. He proclaims freedom to the captive. How do we get this guy as the target of an assassination attempt? The prophecy over him is remarkable. In Luke 2, a prophet picks him up and says this. Can you imagine? Right in front of the mom. Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And then he looks at Mary. And Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts or the, uh, the schemes of many hearts may be revealed. Here's your baby back. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And yet that is exactly what the life of Jesus caused. Polarizing. And to this day, there's nobody who when you say, hey man, what do you think about Jesus Christ and having a personal relationship with him as your Lord and Savior? There's nobody who goes, eh. It's a visceral reaction. Jesus is not tofu. It's nice but rather flavorless, right? Jesus is uh, uh, Tabasco, right? Or... or the opposite of Tabasco. I should have thought that analogy. The, the point is, there's nobody who's neutral about him. And here you see uh, these Pharisees and these Jewish leaders picking up rocks to stone him. He, look, he's either got to be uh, killed as a blasphemer or enthroned as Lord of your life. Uh, stoned or enthroned. There's no middle ground. So what gets us to this point? That's, that's the point of the sermon. What gets us to this point? I believe that John 10, 31 is the height of a crescendo. Now, uh, musicians, you'll have to help me out here. This is the point at, uh, what do you call, uh, there's forte, that's loud, then uh, fortissimo. What do you call when it's triple F, 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 F? You call that rock and roll. No, okay. That's, uh, <laughs> we call that Sunday morning. Yeah. Uh, that, that, oh, that's fortissimo. Okay, well, what's the double F then? Who knows, right? That's uh, extra forte. So, uh, uh, this is fortissimo. This is the end of the crescendo. And my question is, how did we get to the end of this crescendo? And for that, let's start at P- pianissimo. I'm making this up. Yeah. Let's start at pianissimo um, in John 10, 1. And I'll show you. Let's walk through this. How do we get from Jesus, meek and mild, friend of sinners, brutally uh, uh, the target of an assassination attempt, a stoning as a blasphemer. They go from mild to bold to blasphemous and maybe insane in the eyes of the people. They say he's possessed by a demon. They, you know, we'll, we'll get there. But here we go. A, a, a little scene, a little background. He's just healed a man born blind. Uh, it's a real problem. It was an obvious miracle and the, um, the Pharisees saw it and there's no questioning. I mean, they tried to question the actual miracle. They, they said that Jesus didn't heal this guy born blind. There's just a guy who can now see who is like the twin of this guy and he's like a lookalike and Jesus did the old healing switcheroo, smoke and mirrors. And so they have this trial where they bring his parents. Is this your son? The parents are like, yeah. And then they ask him, are you sure you're really the person? I mean, that's basically John 9. And they ask him. They're furious at him. They're like, give glory to God. Why why are they so mad? Because the day he did the healing was a Sabbath. And so they're in a real quandary. He's got to be the one from God. He can do this kind of healing. But he can't be the one from God because he's a lawbreaker. They can't get it together. He doesn't fit our system. He absolutely, the one thing we know about Jesus is he can't be the Messiah of God because he wouldn't have healed on the Sabbath. 
And the one thing we know about Jesus is he has to be the Messiah of God because only that guy could do these kinds of healings. Right? And uh, John 9, in great understatement, says, so they were divided. Right? And finally, they do what, um, and this is what religion and religion power, and, and it, it's, it's much like what uh, Pastor Linda was saying. The, 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 whole, the Pharisees enjoy this kind of pedestal. They enjoy this power. And so pow- religion does what it always does. It empowers a few and then locks everybody else out in the cold. And so when the Pharisees realize they've lost power, they just intimidate the poor guy. They bring him in there and they say at last, we're going to kick you out of the temple as a blasphemer. Side with Jesus and you'll end up where Jesus ends up, which is gone, kicked out. So they say, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. The man replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I once was blind now I can see. So you do what you got to do theologically, but I'm telling you what happened to me, right? The Pharisees are furious about all this. They can't figure it out. And so already we see a little, you know, a, a bubbling up and th- th- they're trying to figure all this out. Then we come to verse one and what happens? Jesus says something that I don't think would have gotten him uh, in any trouble at all. He says something pretty, pretty mild, just gives a, a simple little illustration. Let's look at verses one through five. He says, I assure you, Anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the door but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize the voice of strangers. Now, on the surface, look, there's nothing here that would lead to a a stoning. It's a simple illustration drawn from shepherds and sheep, and it's something that would have been very familiar to the people. I even imagine that Jesus is teaching outside. Maybe he even looks and and motions and says, oh, like, like this courtyard of sheep that we see here. And he's sort of drawing an illustration that's right there in front of him. You can imagine a, a little enclosure, and when shepherds returned with their sheep from the pasture, they would house them in an enclosed sheep pen. If you think about a group of houses that sort of form a courtyard or could have been walls with one door, and once that door was closed, the sheep were safe. Very simple. Uh, it could have been that multiple flocks shared the space or just one flock. The cool thing is when the shepherd spoke, only his flock would know his voice and follow out. The rest of the sheep would stay there. It was sometimes guarded by a watchman, uh, like a security guard, a doorkeeper. And other times the shepherd himself would say that. The, the, the verse is simply saying, look, if you're the stranger, if you look back at verse 1, it's a simple point. Anybody who enters in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who has authority, the shepherd of the sheep, he can just come in the, the, the front door, right? No questions asked. Recently, I uh, uh, got locked out of my apartment. I live on the seventh floor of a big seven-story building, penthouse, and uh, <laughs> uh, I got locked out, you know, and the, st- the key got stuck in there, and so the super takes this pliers and, like, rips the key off. I was like, I could have done that. <laughs> and, uh, and so he says, uh, just nonchalant, he's like, you know, let's go downstairs. We'll crawl through your na- neighbor's window up the fire escape and jump in through your window. And I'm like, totes, let's roll. Like, why wouldn't we do that? Like, so we go out in the dead of night, and uh, it's really late. And there I am, and my neighbors were way cool about it. They're like, yeah, come on, we understand, you know. 
And uh, so I crawl through their window, pardon me, excuse me, right? I crawl up the fire escape, and the plan's great. Except when I get to the top, I had forgotten my uh, next-door neighbor, who's very elderly. She happened to be at her kitchen window, talking to her son on the phone. Yeah, it's the dead of night. And she's like, yeah, talking, talking. All of a sudden, ah, my face coming up the fire escape. Ah, she drops the phone. She, she's fine, turns out. She's fine. Uh, but the whole point was, uh, it was unexpected. Now, and Jesus is just making a simple point that we all understand, we all get. If you see somebody crawling around in the middle of the night in some direction other than the door, you can assume he's up to no good. And in my case, there was an explanation, but, you know, that took a while, uh, it, it took a, a while to explain later. That's all he's saying. The shepherd doesn't have to get in through some um, uh, uh, a surreptitious means. He can just go right through the, the front door. The verse 3 gives two simple proofs of the shepherd's, two proofs of the shepherd's authority. One, the doorkeeper opens it for him. In other words, the watchman recognizes him. The other is the sheep hear his voice. And then Jesus adds a little something to the illustration. And this does go beyond what most shepherds would have done. Uh, but he says he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. In other words, there was a kind of tender intimacy between shepherd and sheep. And uh, uh, there are actually commentaries you can read about shepherding and sheep in the ancient Near East. And they're fascinating. And uh, all of them agreed that it would be rare for a shepherd to have a name for each of his sheep. That's why it's sort of unusual that Jesus would say he calls each one by name. And then these commentaries, and look, I've got to be honest, I don't know where some of these guys are getting this, but they're writing, it was not uncommon to have a few nicknames for some of the sheep, but certainly not naming all the sheep. And I'm going, really? Like, do you have any record of it? Well, they called this one, you know, Mr. Woolsworth, and this guy was bad boy. And like, yo, come on, like, really? But whatever. Uh, a lefty, you know, we're going out. Uh, uh, but he, he calls these sheep, but <clears throat> the point Jesus is making is, the shepherd has such a knowledge that he can call each sheep by name. Now consider that. And when he has brought all his own outside, he goes on ahead of them. How cool is that? The shepherd is not behind the sheep driving them. Go! Right? Thou shalt move! Right? He doesn't put extra fencing all around them to sort of scaffold them in. No, the shepherd just walks on ahead. And the sheep follow. He leads. He doesn't drive. And we're, uh, and, uh, you know, the sheep are just going to the pasture. He doesn't stand behind them with whip or bit or bridle, demand, manipulate, or cajole. He just goes on ahead of them. He leadeth them beside the still waters and the green pastures. And the sheep follow. And we learn why. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. They don't follow a stranger. They run away from the stranger. They don't recognize the voice of strangers. Simply put, they know the shepherd's voice. They know that he has led them faithfully in the past and sheep may not be the smartest animals on the planet, but they know the one that leads them to pasture, and they follow. The other voices, why they could be thieves or robbers or who knows, the point is they're strangers. They don't recognize that voice, and so they don't grant it any authority in their little sheep life. That's it. It's just a little story about shepherds and sheep. It's harmless, right? It's harmless. At this point, uh, we're still like pianissimo in the crescendo, and uh, there you go. Jesus paints this beautiful illustration. It involves, so far, we have thieves, robbers, a good shepherd, a door, some sheep. There's nothing in here that leads to a mob stoning. Uh, nothing at all that would lead to anything, really, except confusion. If you look at verse 6, what it led to was just sort of confusion. Jesus gave them this illustration, but they did not understand what he was telling them. And so Jesus tells them something in verse 7, where we move from uh, piano pianissimo. We get to maybe mezzo forte here. Uh, he says something that I find shocking, but
But it wouldn't have been shocking at all if you think about the people Jesus was talking to. So Jesus said to them, I assure you. Now, without looking, I mean, uh, well, it's on the screen. But would you have guessed that? Like, just back up for a second. If I just said, everybody, we're going to have a closed book pop quiz. You have to close your Bible, close the PowerPoint screen. Jesus is talking in John 10 about thieves, robbers, sheep, shepherd. And then in John chapter 10, verse 7, he says, and Jesus said to them, I am the blank. Right? Wouldn't we have all guessed? I would have. We would have guessed. That's the point where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I'm the shepherd of those sheep. He doesn't say that at all. Look at John 10, 7. And it's, it's, it's shocking to me because I'm thinking always of Jesus as good shepherd, and we'll get to that. But, but the, the people then, they wouldn't have been shocked by this. This actually would have made more sense. He says this. So Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. Did you catch that? Jesus has been telling this great story about shepherd and sheep, and then the explanation. I, I think he would say, I'm the good shepherd, but he says, at least first, I'm the door. Or your version may say, I'm the gate. I'm the thing that stands between shepherd and sheep. I guess I expect this because I associate Jesus with shepherd, but when the Jews heard this, they would have never thought of Jesus as shepherd, not yet. They think of shepherd, maybe Moses, more likely David, but even David wrote about the most famous shepherd of all. They would think of Yahweh of Israel. Psalm 23 is pretty clear. Who is my shepherd? I shall not want. It's pretty clear, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Capital L-O-R-D. Yahweh God. When they think shepherd, who shepherded the people of Israel in the wilderness? Who got them you know, out of Egypt? Who was the shepherd that led them all, the, all their whole uh, 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 story of Israel the whole time? The Lord is the shepherd. And so what Jesus may be saying here is that the Lord, Yahweh, is still shepherding his sheep. And I'm the door that gets between shepherd and sheep. I'm the door. I'm the gate. I'm the way to the good shepherd. Does that make sense? I'm the door. I'm the means you must go through. And if you try to get in any other way, just thieves and robbers. If anybody tries to get you, hey, look, man, you could go through the way to get to God. You could go through the, the way, the, 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 you know, th this gate, Jesus, but it'd be faster if you cut through this shortcut. Jesus is saying, uh-uh, thief and robber. Don't do it. Does that make sense? He's the door. Verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. And what's he saying there? He's saying, look, I get it. There have been others who have claimed to be messiahs. And if we look historically, if you remember back to Easter, I know, I know, it's Christmas and I'm asking you to remember back to April. But remember that series James did Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Do you remember in that series teaching on other messiahs that had that had popped up historically we read about them these are men who would rise up from time to time as insurrectionists you can read about judas the galilean you can read about some even in acts they claim to be messiahs these were fighting men and their uh, uh fighting uh, sort of their motto was not just no new taxes their motto was like no taxes at, at all that was the line in the sand rome was pretty cool as long as you um uh rome was pretty cool as long as you you uh, paid your taxes and sort of shut up, you know? As long as you don't cause too much civil unrest, and as long as you'll pay your taxes, those are really the lines you, you can't cross. And so what these messiahs would do, they would, when, when they crossed that line in the sand was when they got the people to stop paying taxes to Rome. And that's when Rome... Uh, took notice and so they would these messiahs would get bands of followers they would refuse to pay taxes to rome they were going to take down rome that god was going to anoint them and do this and rome would just kill them and put them on crosses and they would say the message was very clear anybody got any more ideas rome's got plenty more crosses 
and they would crucify them. The Greek word is lestes. They would, uh, a klepto, either one. You hear the word in there. They would crucify them as thieves. Robbers. You ever think about that? You remember G- the story of Jesus' crucifixion? He was crucified between two thieves. You ever wonder about that? Those guys weren't up there for shoplifting. You know, because it seems a little harsh. You're like, whoa, why do, why do they call them thieves? Because in, Rome, in Rome's mind, this is the deal. You're stealing from the treasury of the people. You're stealing by not paying your taxes. You're a thief, you see. And so they would crucify these wannabe messiahs as thieves. Well, what's he saying here? I know there have been other messiahs, and I know that people want to fight against Rome, and they want to rule the world by overthrow and by power. But he says, don't worry, the true sheep haven't been listening to them. And again, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so they may have life and have it in abundance. Now it makes even more sense. Those wannabe messiahs, they claim to be the saviors of Israel. They're going to lead to nothing but carnage. What does these thieves, these wannabe messiahs want to do? They want to steal from Rome, kill Romans, and destroy the empire. And it's only going to lead to dead sheep. Dead Romans, dead Jews, carnage. Taking up the weapons of war like these fighting messiahs will never lead to anything but steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come a whole different thing. I've come to be the door. Faith in Jesus, the act of transferring, if you will, all of my trust from my life into the hands of Jesus. This results in life, and not just physical life, but what does he say? Life and life abundant, life to the full, you see. I want you to ponder this little phrase with me right here we see in in verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, notice this. He will be saved and come in and go out and find pasture. Ponder that. Saved and come in. That means safety for the sheep in the pen. Go out and find pasture. That means pasture and adventure outside. You ever think about that? Saved and come in, go out and find pasture. That to me is huge. And it it, it reflects on that whole life and life abundant thing. And here's why. Most people I meet that don't really understand Christianity, even outside or inside the church... They think of Christianity either as a prison or as a fortress. Here's what I mean. Uh, there are those who think of Christianity as a, uh, as a uh, uh, which one do you want to pick on first? Uh, let's say as a prison. Oh, I don't want to come under God's authority. Uh, all those rules. And if I become a Christian, there's all these habits that I'm going to have to stop because there's no way that this is going to be cool with God, right? And I sort of want to have my own freedom. I want to choose my way of life. I want to choose what I'm doing. It's a whole other sermon to talk about why that whole line of thinking is hogwash. But that's, I will restrain. But right, there's this idea that I want to have freedom. I don't want to come under the authority of God because it's a prison. And yet, what does Jesus say? Go out and find pasture. Go out and find pasture. At no point is the call to follow Christ. Come in, inside the church, lock it down, safe house. (laughs) Holy huddle. Because outside there, who knows, there may be sinners. So what we need to do, gang, is put together, let's huddle up, let's get together, and then we'll go out. Onward, Christian soldiers, killing all the sinners. Or whatever we, no, 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 no. Right? That it's a prison, and we're locked in. What does he say? Go out and find pasture. Go out and find pasture. And then what? Come in and be saved and come in. Be saved and come in. And that's the other thing. Uh, Christians think that it's a... uh, a lot of times Christians think that Christianity is, a, is like a fortress. Does that make sense? It, it's like for some people, I don't, I don't want to come in there, man. They'll lock me in there. It's a prison. For other people, it's like I've been too hurt in the outside world. If I come to Christ, he will protect me from all pain. He is a guarantee that I'll never be hurt again. That's not promised here. Go out and find pasture. Look, 
Christians are not guaranteed some special provision, some special dispensation that we will never have to face any pain. It's neither prison nor fortress. Be saved and come in. Go out and find pasture. What makes Christianity safe is not your location. What makes you in any sense safe is the presence of the shepherd. That's it. Whether I'm in the pen behind that mighty gate, that mighty fortress that is our God, or whether I'm out in the pasture, he leadeth me. He leadeth me, oh blessed thought. Right? It, it, it's the presence of the shepherd that gives my life safety and security, not some location. They'll be saved and come in, go out and find pasture because the shepherd is with them. And that shepherd is God. He's led the people of Israel so faithfully. Don't you see where he's going? The shepherd is God. The shepherd is Yahweh God. He's led you faithfully in the past. He'll lead you faithfully in the future. And listen, Jesus is saying, and I'm the door to get to God. Every, don't listen to other things. They're thieves and robbers, everybody. And all, you know, even there are preachers that'll tell you some other means. You gotta, you gotta have simple faith and it's by grace you've been saved, but you also need to do this or you also need to spend this or, you know, but you, you gotta be good enough. It's lies and certainly the world is lying to us. You have to buy this, you have to own this, you have to be this. I'm the door that gets you to the good shepherd. It's me. The good shepherd is God and I'm the door that gets you there. So far the Pharisees probably are getting a little angry, but they can live with that because the claim he's making is, I am the sole and exclusive prophet of God. I'm, I'm, I'm the way to get to God. I'm more than a prophet of God. I'm the way to God. So already they're upset, but I don't think they're going to kill him because all he's saying is, I'm the way to the good shepherd God. Drum roll, please. And last verse I want to show you. Verse 11. This is where he gets, I think this is it. Oh, and by the way, I am the good shepherd. Right? Now we see why Jesus is going to be stoned as a blasphemer. Now we see why the assassination attempt. I'm the door. Okay, cool. That does what? That leads you to God, the good shepherd. Oh, and BT dubs. I am the good shepherd as well. I am Yahweh God. Taken on human flesh and dwelling among you. He says that toward the end of this chapter, I and the Father are one. If you were here last week, you'll remember John opens his gospel with this epic truth that Jesus was not just a really good man or a perfect prophet. He's God, fully God and fully man. And that's why he can say, I'm the door, the only way to get to God, the good shepherd. Oh, and by the way, I am the good shepherd. You can see now why we get to verse 31 where they picked up stones to throw it in. We won't take time to trace out each and every turn but it ends with this unthinkable comment, I and the Father are one. And so verse 31, they picked up stones to throw it in. Uh, just like last week, um, this, having said all that, this sermon would be, I think, a little, uh, maybe just uh, unnecessary, I'll say, if the whole point of this sermon were a dogma checkup. In other words, if the whole point of me preaching this is, now does everybody make sure they got their doctrine straight, right? Jesus is the only way to God the Father. And Jesus is co-eternal with God the Father. And Jesus is, it's perfectly fine to say Jesus is God. You can worship God. You can worship Jesus just as if you're worshiping God. Triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Everybody got their dogma right? There's going to be a quiz after this, right? If that's the point of all this, then it's sort of a little, at best, it's just needless. All right? But it's more. My point is not that you have good dogma. 
My point is that you see, you can rest your entire life. The old saying, you can put all your eggs in one basket. You can put your whole life in Jesus' hands. Why? Because he's the only hope for the world. That he is the door and the good shepherd means he alone can save this world. What did I say last week? A man could relate to us. A human being, prophet, is what we need. Because we can't deal with the consuming fire God. But our world is so messed up, we need a consuming fire God. He's the only one with the power to do it. A man has the availability, but only God has the ability. So to, to, to do what we need, because we're so messed up, we need God to solve our problem. And yet we're, we're, we're so far off from God that a holy God would destroy us. So we need, a, we need some sort of human to, to get us to God. The only solution for the world, it's so messed up, would be if somehow there was this God-man. Christmas. Incarnation. The God-man. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the door to God. And he is, you, Jesus is your access to God. And he is God. And what did he do? What did this door shepherd, what did he do for you and me? Can we go to the second half of verse 11 and just meditate on this? Put up verse 11 if you can, guys. And let's look at this. What does he say? I'm the good shepherd. That's shocking to the Pharisees. But you know what's shocking to me? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus Christ laid down his life for his little flock and he knew you by name when he did it. Knew you by name. You know, he, he died for us. He mentions a few verses later the hired hand. Oh, why not? L verse 12, I think it is. There's a hired hand he talks about. Uh, yeah, there you go. The hired man, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then scatter, uh, snatches and scatters them. But not the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, listen, I love you so much i love you city on a hill but if a wolf came for you that's really the lecce's department at that point i'm like i'm the hired hand you know what i'm saying like i love you i love you but there's something when i say that that doesn't ring let's just be real they, these are your pastors right and uh, I, I have James come all the time to preach at New Hope, and he's so gracious to do it. And it, it's the same deal, like, when it's at my church. Like, you know, they, they're going to, James blesses their socks off. But when they got, I don't think they're blowing up your cell phone at 2 a.m. I mean, I hope not. I'm sorry. Forward them to me. Uh, right? Uh, you get what I'm saying? But no matter what, uh, the Lecce's, not one of them, ever went to the cross for you. And I never went to the cross for you. And the best, the best of the best in here. They didn't go to the cross for you. But, but there was. There was a shepherd. There is a shepherd that did that for you and for me. And I mean, like, knew us by name. Okay? And just ponder that with me. He's the door. What kind of door is that? That he is the God door, right? He is the good shepherd. Now, what does that mean? If he's the good shepherd and he's the door, can you imagine the good shepherd himself? Not like the hired hand. The hired hand would be like, hey, look, I'm here. And the hired, he's not hating on the hired hand. Hired hand does good work, and that's fine. But this goes beyond his description. Not our Lord Jesus. Imagine that all of death and hell is coming for us. Right? And so he himself lays that great body in front of the sheep. He lays it himself in front of that 
the door of that pen. As if to say, if death and hell is going to take these sheep, they'll have to come through me. Now ponder this. On the cross of Jesus Christ, Satan didn't hold anything back. Death and hell were spent. Here's what I mean by that. This is important. They gave it their best shot. They gave it their only shot. They gave it all they had. All of death, all of evil, all of hell, it was all absorbed by that great, uh, Hebrews calls him that great shepherd of the sheep. It was all absorbed by Jesus on the cross. Not some of it, not most of it, all of it. So that when he was dead and buried, there was nothing left of death or hell or evil. There was no, no sin that anyone could ever commit that somehow like not been paid for. He absorbed it all. Like that song, Jesus paid it all. It means all, everyone, and it means, I think, all. And then on Easter Sunday morning when he rose up, what we learned was what Paul, his whole life, could never get over. I mean, that's Paul's whole point is like this Messiah is alive. And in uh, 1 Corinthians, it puts it this way. Uh, death has been swallowed up in victory. Right? Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, oh, grave, where's your victory? Death has been swallowed up. All of the death that ever was when it was absorbed by Jesus, all that's left is life. And life abundant. And life. And more life. And at the end of life, more life. The reason we die and it goes on forever and ever is because Jesus is life eternal. There's no, there's no more death. He absorbed all that. That's the good shepherd. He's the door. He's the good shepherd. And he absorbed that for you and for me. Oh, ponder this baby in the manger. You can't remain neutral. When you hear that, that's, you either, there are people around the world that will pick up stones to this day and they will kill you for saying that. And my point is, if you're going to die over something, like that's a radical truth. It should divide the world. That's exactly right. It means you're hearing me corrected. If you're, if you're offended that I'm saying Jesus is God, then at least you're offended over the right thing, right? Uh, so to this day, he, there is a choice. And um, uh, 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 let, you know, let every heart prepare him room. He, he will either be... Uh, crucified, you'll have to sort of stay there on the cross, Jesus, or you'll have to say with the Apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. He will, you either have to stone him as a blasphemer, or you'll have to enthrone him as the ultimate king and lord of your life. The, uh, the great reminder he gave us is uh, that uh, on the night he was betrayed, uh, he knew, I mean, that, come on, isn't that why we have church every Sunday? Is like, you pick one of the sinners out of a group of sinners, and you let that sinner tell all the other sinners, hey, don't forget, God loves sinners. I mean, isn't that, you, we make it so hard, but isn't fundamentally, that's the role. Each week, we got to remind each other, like, you know, he, he loves us. Uh, so anyway, he gave us this reminder, and we celebrate it uh, each week. That on the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus, he took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me and in like manner after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this in remembrance of me he added for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes the ushers know how to help us come to the Lord's table in a reverent manner 
And so during my prayer, I would ask you just as silently and reverently as you can to come and prepare the elements. And I want to uh, pray over all of us that this truth that he is our door and he is also the good shepherd would sink deep into our hearts. Let us pray. Father, as we prepare the table and we prepare our hearts for the table, we thank you, Lord, that we do not come to this table because we're in any sense worthy but we come as little rag dolls, broken and beaten up, and we come because you, O oh Lord, have deemed us worthy. By your son's sacrifice on the cross, you have given us a right standing with you. And Father, we rejoice that you, Jesus, are our way to God the Father. There are not multiple ways to get to God the Father, but we praise God that there's one. One is enough. And Father, we praise you that you are not only the way to the good shepherd but Lord Jesus we enthrone you this morning as the good shepherd that you are co-eternal with God the Father that you reign Jesus with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit one God in three persons forever and ever and we thank you that there is life in your name thank you Lord for that sacrifice Thank you for what you did for us on the cross. And thank you, O oh God, that all of death, hell, that all of our sin and evil was absorbed by you, the good shepherd, on the cross of Calvary. I pray we live into that reality in Jesus' name.